Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. We're continuing our series on Enlarge. This morning I want to speak to you about a larger life. This is the story of the end of one chapter, the end of one great prophet of God and the beginning of the ministry of another one. It says this in verse 5 of 2 Kings chapter 2. Now the sons of the prophets. Now the sons of the prophets is a term that literally means that they were like prophets in training. That doesn't mean their fathers were prophets necessarily. It means that this was like a school of guys and they're being trained to be prophetic ministry because in the nation of Israel, usually there was several, many more than one prophet at a time and together their voice would bring clarity. Now the sons of the prophets who were Jericho came to Elisha. This is the guy, the the one who's about to take over from Elijah. And they said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, that's to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, Elijah took his mantle, this garment that he wore, and I guess it was like a uniform. It was more than just simply a jacket he happened to be wearing that day. But it's a sign of his ministry and his authority. And he takes it and he rolls it up and he smites the water of the river and it gets divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground, not even wet ground, not muddy ground. This thing is so supernatural. They walk over and it's dry sand or soil under their feet. And so it was when they had crossed over. That's so important because sometimes you don't get to make your request until after you've been through your trial. You know, in Psalm 23, we're told that the Lord spreads a table before us in the presence of our enemies, but it's not on the calm waters side and and it's not over in the green pastures side. It's on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. And so it's after they've crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? Elisha who has served this man for at least eight years. He has done nothing supernatural, nothing prophetic. He's had no signs of nascent ministry. There's been no evidence of something great about to happen. While his compatriots and the sons of the prophets have been going to prophetic school and have been prophesying and have begun to make a name for their own ministry, he rather has been going about looking after Elijah. He's washed his clothes, prepared his meals. He's been like a combination of PA and executive assistant and and 
roadie for want of a better word. And so he's done all of this kind of stuff and really done nothing more than that after leaving behind his own business. Because when Elijah comes and finds him, he's ploughing with all these oxen because his family own a major farm. And one day Elisha is going to take it over. He's going to inherit everything that mum and dad have built, this corporation. And Elijah comes past and that very same mantle touches Elisha. And he says, let me go home and say goodbye to mum and dad. What he really is saying, if you understand the culture, is he's saying, when they die, I'll come. And Elijah says, got nothing to do with me. It's not my call. I'm not asking you a favour. I'm not inviting you into my world. But God sent me because Elijah, when he was all alone, heard the voice of the Lord say, go and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel Mahola, to be prophet in your place. See, God knew where he was. Can I say to you this morning, God knows where you are. You may be in a place right now where you think God's forgotten who you are, God's forgotten where you are, that you've become irrelevant, that maybe your great opportunity has gone past, that maybe somehow or other your best days were the ones back there and you're now gonna have more memories than you'll have vision. And yet God knew where Elisha was and sent the prophet of God, name and address, goes there. So when Elijah walks off, and says, what's that to do with me? It's not because he doesn't care, but because what he's saying to the guys, listen, the call of God comes from God. It's not from someone else. Nobody else can call you into the ministry. Nobody else can say, this is what you ought to do. There is a divine call. And can I say, there's a divine call to every single believer. Doesn't matter who you are. I'm constantly amazed. I mentioned the people that have had uh, some dramatic salvations this year. And in every single case, I hear back later where they, without anybody teaching them or telling them or, prompting them or pushing them, they come up and say, now I'm saved. Now I'm a follower of Christ. Where do I serve? What can I do? Why? Because the call of God, listen to me, goes to every single believer. There is no such thing as the crowd to God. There's no such thing as the people. So Jesus can walk past a tax collector, the most despised of people in the entire land. How many tax collectors did Jesus walk past? Scores of them, no doubt. The Romans were great at tax. You know, don't invite our governments to learn more from them. They were great at it. But Jesus walked past one guy and turns to him and says, follow me. Follow me, what a tax collector, a man who built his life on corruption, a man who was famous for a lack of compassion, for no care. And yet Jesus looked at that one and said, you follow me. He goes to a fisherman, well, actually a family of them. And when your nickname is James and John, the sons of thunder, you don't get that because you spend every waking moment with your head in a book or, or singing in the church choir. You got it because you're a brawler. Because after you've finished your work for the day, you kind of take those big meaty fishermen hands and lay hands suddenly on anybody that ticks you off. There's a place for you. There's something for you. 
Don't say I'm too old. Don't say I'm too young. Don't say I don't know enough. Because the call of God comes to Elisha before he knows anything about prophecy. Listen, God wants to teach people and train people on the job. Jesus never said to Matthew, follow me, but first go to Bible college for six years. First go and get your undergrad, then go get a master's in theology, then go get your doctor of philosophy in Christian ministry and leadership. Not that I'm saying those things are bad, but they're, they're bad if you make it sound like you've got to have that to start. Because Jesus took these guys, including one who was a political activist, Judas Iscariot. He picks this guy up. He's handing out pamphlets on the street corner telling everybody that, you know, you better kind of fix it all up. And he's an activist. He's there marching on parliament. And Jesus rocks up and says, come follow me. And he gets the whole mob of them, 12 of them all together. And they're all just the most diabolical mess you could ever imagine. They are. Not one of them you'd pick. Not one of them I certainly wouldn't pick. And Jesus goes, grabs them and says, come, let's work this out. Huh? What an incredible thing. So I want you to know this morning that God wants to engage you. If you're a Christian, there is something that is divine in the call of God to your life. Ask what I may do for you before I'm taken away. Come back to the Scripture finally. Verse 9, Elisha said, Please let it be a double portion of your spirit upon me. You know, when Elijah called Elisha, he never said, By the way, if you follow me faithfully at the end, you're going to get double this. Twice as many miracles, twice as much authority. Twice as many visions, twice as much supernatural power. He never promised him anything at all. Matter of fact, he promised him zip. He never said, follow me and, or if. He just said, hello, call a God, whack. Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Verse 10, so he said, you've asked a hard thing. I don't know about anybody else, but I would want to pause there for a minute. Because I'm so glad He never said you've asked an impossible thing. I'm glad He never said you can't have it. I'm glad He never said you've asked too much. But He said you've asked a hard thing. And that challenges me because I think, God, I hope at least some of my prayers are regarded as a hard thing. Amen. I don't want to get to heaven and say, well, you got here, but you played it safe. Amen. I want to get there and they go, thank God, we weren't even sure he was going to make it. I want to get up there and see gasping, puffed out angels slumped to one side. And when I say, why aren't they worshipping? He says, because you wore them out. Just getting you here was hard. I want to ask God some things in my life that he might call. Come on, am I talking to anyone this morning? I want to pray. Come on, when was the last time you prayed a big prayer like some people, the most dangerous prayer they ever pray is, Lord, this food we just put on the table could be out of date. <laughs> Best Buy, 17th of November. Oh God, it's the 18th. Oh God, don't let us die. For some people, that's the most dangerous, risky prayer they ever pray. Huh? Huh? For what we are about to receive. Reminds me, I was telling Pastor Danny Guglielmich yesterday about the, you know, the the lion that encountered a Christian in the middle of the jungle. And uh, the Christian in fear spoke to the lion and said, look, I'm a Christian. 
whereupon the lion spoke. Which is amazing. And the lion said, I'm a Christian too. And the Christian thought, praise God, I'm safe. And so the Christian said to the lion, I think before we go any further, we ought to pray. How about you lead off? And so the lion bowed his big bushy mane and that majestic head and said, for what I'm about to receive. May the Lord make us truly thankful. I'll guarantee the Christian there then began to pray a hard thing. Come on, are you with me here? Come on. We are not born from God to play it safe, to do the safe things, to say, God, so long as I stay. I'm all for colouring outside the lines some of the time. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you should just flick out there and do whatever, but this guy asks a hard thing. He asks audaciously for twice as much impact as Elijah has had. Not promised, not ever guaranteed to him. And he said, you've asked a hard thing. And I pray that in our life and this church, Come on, we will always be saying, God, thank you for all the years of faithfulness. But Lord, we want to ask you for a hard thing. God, we want to ask you for something great. We ask you, Lord, that you will reach more people than we've ever reached before. God, we're asking you'll save more people supernaturally than we've ever seen. Save before God that we will grow and be forces for influence more than we've ever been before. So he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. You got to know today that God won't rebuke you or refuse you if you ask Him for a larger life. If you ask Him for more grace, we're speaking about enlarge. But some of that comes out of us getting before God and saying, God, would you do something bigger than me? God, would you do something more than my talents? Listen, I love EFM and I love that we help people discover their gifts and talents, but I never want to serve a God who's limited by my talents and my abilities. I don't want to serve a a Lord who can only do a little because I'm only a little. I'm believing for the God who is willing to do far more than we can ever think to do. Scripture says, now unto Him who's able to do exceeding abundantly, of all that we ask or even think according because and if you stop there it sounds like a negative verse but it goes on it says according to the power that is at work in us. In other words, I don't wait for the power. It's already in me. I don't wait for God to do something great. He's already at work in me doing something great. I don't wait for Jesus to come and do some special trick, but He's already at work according to the power that's at work in me in Jesus' name. And yet I read this whole story and realise it's more than Elijah and Elisha. They're the central characters, but they're not the only people in this story. I'm so intrigued at the sons of the prophets. I'm so intrigued that 50 of them knew what was about to happen. 
and yet one person walks out with an enlarged life and 50 stay the same. You know, I've been your pastor for 31 years since this church started. Some of you have been here that long and many of you not that long. But you know, the whole way along, I've encouraged you, pushed you, pressed you, urged you, and I make no apology for it. I'm not likely to calm down anytime soon. Uh, rather, the reverse is so. Not out, of, not out of human personality or strength, but out of a divine uh, hunger that I believe comes from God that says there's more than what we see, there's more capable than what we've experienced, that God is looking for people who are not going to stand off to the side, but people who say, I'll go. I know it's hard, but I'll go. I'll go that way. And so Elisha gets the double portion. And I ask myself, why him and why not the 50? I'm not amazed at greatness. I'm amazed at a lack of greatness, if you want the truth. I'm not amazed at people's heroics because I think that goes with being human. We are capable of doing amazing stuff. But I am amazed that, I'm amazed that people can live a whole life and all they want to do is retire. I've got to be honest, I'm amazed at that. I, I just am amazed. I'm not amazed at retiring. I'm all for it. For other people. But um, um, please understand, if you're retired, I, that is no slight. I thank God you're retired. Retire. And be like Kurt Kandaresi, like Michael E. Friends, they retire and work harder now for God than they ever did before. Yeah. Kurt used to be able to go in his public service architect job and sit there and squiggle a few lines on a page, go home at the end of the day and get public holidays and get other holidays. Now he's flogging stuff and, you know, getting stuff ready. I was down, I was in Kalgoorlie all this year where all the old chairs from here went and I told someone about you and about the team you led that built all these chairs. Worked for months, tirelessly, every single day. So I'm not, a, uh, I'm just not even gonna say any more about it because it's, you know my heart, that's not what I think. But I'm not amazed at people's greatness. I'm amazed that some people just, it's like doesn't occur, just whatever. Why does Elisha get enlarged? Number one. Elisha gets enlarged because Elisha was hungry. My mum had a great saying, seven kids. My mum had a great saying. She'd put some in front of me. You go, oh, mum, I'm hungry. And she'd go and give you something. And you go, I don't like that. And she says, then you're not very hungry, are you? Anybody have a mother like mine? Yeah, then you're not very hungry, are you? Because my mum knew stuff. She knew that when we're hungry, we're open and we're willing to try and when we're full and self-satisfied, we're not hungry. We are fussy and critical. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Oh, do I have to? Do I have to eat broccoli again? And my mother would say, there are people starving around the world. And we always used to say, then post it to them. But my mum my just knew stuff. She knew that a little bit of hunger is good for you. Amen. Uh, makes you just go, wow. Some of you here, you know, 
Other people come to your home and they go, that's phenomenal food. And your kids are going, lasagna again? Curry again? Hello? Huh? Gulab yamen again? So Elisha's hungry. So sons of the prophets are full. Because they're full, they're happy to stay where they are. Paul, at the end of his ministry in Philippians 3, says this. He says, brethren, I don't count myself to have arrived. This guy at the end, he's in jail when he writes it. He's not going to any other place but to the place of his death. And yet here he is writing this saying, you know what? I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. I hope you're still hungry. Here's number two. Second thing that Elisha did that was the difference was that Elisha was looking. Now I want you to think with me a minute here because the sons of the prophets saw what Elisha saw, but they weren't looking for what Elisha was looking for. There's such a difference between seeing and looking. Lots of people I know can see what's wrong with the world. A couple of weeks ago, our news media said, I don't know who it was they were quoting, but said that experts forecast that the suicide rate in Australia will increase by 40, 40, 40% in the next decade. You know, it'd be a lot of people saying, that's terrible. Don't tell me what you see. Tell me what you're looking for. Don't tell me what you see. Oh, the breakdown of the family. You can see that stuff, but the sons of the prophets saw it, but they weren't looking for anything. And because they weren't looking for what Elisha was looking for, they stayed in the comfortable, they stayed in the known, they stayed in the familiar, they stayed where they'd always stayed and had what they'd always had. While one man said, I see it, but I'm looking. And because he was looking, he comes back with a double portion to the people who'd never moved. Don't you find that extraordinary? Because I do. I find it extraordinary that some people can see things, but they're not looking. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, He said, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Find what? Find what you're looking for. Are you with me here? So you can either look around about you and see what's going on or you can start looking for the answer. Looking for how to make a difference in what's happening in your world. Elisha was hungry and Elisha was looking and his looking made him take action out of where he was and he persevered and he kept going. And the third thing I want to say is this, is that Elisha endured. Now I've heard people say, I've, I've been to the River Jordan where they say Jesus was baptised, though quite frankly, there was no angel standing there when I was there, so it just looked like a dirty river to me. I don't mean to be irreverent, but the river's not sacred. You get that, don't you? Jesus could have got baptised anywhere. Just, that's where John was baptised. Are you with me? All right. But I do know this, that the journey down from Jerusalem down to the Jordan is a very long, 
very winding and tortuous road in a very hot, very deserted place. There are almost no trees there. And it's a long, long way down from Jerusalem and it's high elevation down to the Jordan. And it's so desolate. Like literally there's clouds of dust. It's just dirt. And there's nothing there. And so I imagine that when Elijah and Elisha go from the oasis that is Jericho, and he says, I'm going down to the Jordan. Everybody else is going like, hello. That's not a pleasure cruise for the afternoon. No air-conditioned coach is taking us there. Our dusty sandals are going to get dustier yet as we go there. And so down they go to this place. But can I suggest to you today that that actually, I don't think as difficult in the heat and the dust and the desolateness of it all as that might have been, that's not actually what I think he endured the most. I think what he endured the most was eight years of every day. Eight years of no change. Eight years of every day, same, same. Eight years of getting up, same ritual, same routine, watching someone else do what has gripped the inside of your soul. And there's no outlet. And worse still, there's no other church to go to. It's not like you can go, well, hello, they're not giving me a shake at Metro. Oh, I'm feeling led to go there. You can't do that. Because who else can he go to? Huh? It's kind of like you're stuck. It was a real bummer to be in the New Testament church where there was only one church in any city. Because if you got offended at that one, you go, well, I'm offended, I'm going to go. Oh, because you're stuck. Calm down. So Elisha doesn't endure just simply some kind of difficulty in his last few hours and moments of walking with Elijah. It's eight years of every day. I, I, I am really much more impressed. I was thinking about this this morning because I don't know what it is, but I'm always more impressed with people that walk through difficulty than I am with people that are successful. Always have been. I admire people that get dealt a really rubbish hand and just go, I'm going to make the best of it. I've always admired those kind of people. I just think there's something to be said for that kind of spirit and chutzpah, to use the Yiddish word. That kind of thing that just goes, you know what, this isn't the best, so I'll just be the best. Amen. You know, the kind of thing of Joseph, sold into slavery by your own brothers. Hello, like hello, no more Christmas presents for you. Done. <laughs> sold into slavery, part of his house. You know, you sleep your way to the top, not for him. And so he ends up in the prison and yet the whole way the guy doesn't go, well, that's it, giving up on God. Look what serving God's done for me. He just says, I'm going to be the best wherever I am. I always think that's amazing. And so this guy endured. Luke 4 verse 16 says this, but he came to Nazareth, it says, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Imagine Jesus. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And it talks about Jesus 
as having been there in the very beginning of everything. But he comes, we're going to celebrate it in Emmanuel, which means God with us. The production on the 15th of December morning and night. And as we celebrate that, you've got to understand, it's not the picture postcard stuff. It's not lovely little Mary and lovely little Joseph and lovely little baby Jesus and lovely little donkey. It's not like Jesus grew up going, well, Nazareth is Nazareth. It's all I've ever known. Because it wasn't all he'd ever known. Huh? Are you all here? Think about it. He's used to having angels. Ezekiel tried to describe it all and said, wheels within wheels and they were aflame with a burning fire that never you know, consumed them. And when Jesus appears to John on the Isle of Patmos, it says that his hair was bright and shining and white and his garment gleamed like the sun. His face was like the sun, it says, in all of its strength. And Jesus leaves that. And then comes the little old Mary and little old Bethlehem and the little old manger. Huh? And there he is, the Son of God who is the Word turns up to church and listens to someone try to explain him. Huh? Can't you imagine some robed, tasseled, some guy with a big, long Jewish beard, ringlets, little hat. And he stands up and he says, today I'm going to teach you about the Messiah. And 13-year-old Jesus is sitting there. And the guy starts spouting the most unmitigated rubbish. Well, that's for a long time to come. And Jesus must have been sitting there going, no! Huh? Can you imagine him arguing about the law and Jesus sits there and goes, I'm about to fulfil all the law. It won't even be necessary apart from to train people in righteousness, but the law for righteousness will be done away with because I'm here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, you have no idea. It'd be like you being the, the, the most educated person in your entire coterie of people that you know, having to go to preschool again and then listen to kids. Ring a ring a rosy. Now, children, today we're going to study the human body. The human body, and you're this like uber scientist, biologist person. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's what Jesus felt like every single Sunday. They'd be singing songs like, For He is Lord. <laughs> and none of them have got a clue. Think about it now. Jesus endured, but He endured the everyday. He endured the everyday until his moment came. Can I say to all of us here in this place, because, you know, temptation will always come to push you out of the place God's got you because not enough's happening. And you really want to resist that one and just go, God, I'm going to endure. Not the difficulties alone, but I'm going to endure sometimes the everyday parts of life that make it there. Here's the last one, fourth one. Elisha was hungry, Elisha's looking, Elisha endured. Fourthly, as Elisha made room for more. Let's read it. 2 Kings 13, verse 14, he took up the mantle of Elijah 
uh, for him. Verse 12 says, let me just turn to it here because I didn't put that one up for you. It says, And Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen. He saw him no more. And he took all of his own clothes and he tore them into two pieces. Then it follows on and it says this, He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. It's so important, this jacket I got from Threads this morning. It's actually really nice and I'm hoping, I haven't tried it on, I hope it fits me because it's so sharp. It's got a blue and black uh, weave in it. and It's a whole suit actually. And quite frankly, if it fits me, I'm buying it. 45 bucks, that's ridiculous. But I should try it on. Should not. What do you reckon? Come on, give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. You're going like, you're looking sharp, Pastor. Pastor, you're looking good. You're looking good. Don't dig your husband and say, why aren't you dressed like that? Just, you're looking good. Now, you all, you all started jibing back at me saying, Take your jacket off first. Duh. Why? Because this looks ridiculous. Secondly, it's uncomfortable. Thirdly, it warps your perspective. Can you imagine me looking in a mirror going, do I look good or what? No. Why? You first of all got to get rid of the stuff before you can put on something new. That's my whole point. Is verse 12, Elisha takes off his jacket and he tears it up. He says, I'm done with yesterday. And then he puts on the new one. Huh? Huh? So come on now. It's one thing to be hungry, another thing to be looking. It's another thing to have in your life the desire and to endure. But can I say to you, you ultimately you've got to make room for more of what God wants to do. Take off the old. Get rid of the stuff that's unnecessary in your life and say, God, I'm going to make room for more. You don't try on new clothes over an old garment. Let me just check it for a second. Because if this does fit, I am buying it. Lord, either make my arms smaller or shorter well, don't, Lord, because then the rest of me would look weird. This doesn't all go well for the trousers. Pity. That's why I bought another one so I can try another one on. By the way, this will go back down to threads and what a pity it doesn't fit. Do you want an enlarged life? I do. I really do. I'm not so old in God that I kind of think, well, you know, I'm nearing the end now. I really don't think I'm nearing the end. I think I'm nearing the middle. And I want you to think to yourself and go, God, am I still, am I still hungry? You know, does my devotional life just look like another ritual, like breakfast? 
or am I hungry? Am I looking? Are you provoked by what you see round about? Then be provoked to look, not just to see. Endure. Endure some of the average stuff and make room in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the enlarged life that you want us all to have. You want us to have far more than we already have. And Lord, not out of some kind of desperation or some kind of pressure, but God, out of an invitation of the Holy Spirit to say, would you like to go a bit deeper? Would you like to step out a bit further? We thank you for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, help us to follow you. Thank you, Lord. Just while heads of our eyes are closed. Many of us here can point back to a moment in time when our life changed. And it was such a, an amazing moment that we look back and we said a simple yes to Jesus and our life changed. That for us was BC, AD. History shifted at that point. And Jesus became real. I said to a young man recently who was visiting church for the first time, I said, the only thing that's common amongst all of us here from all of our backgrounds, the only common thing that holds us together is we have all encountered Christ. He said to me, thank you for saying that. He was looking for God and ended up giving his life to Jesus, been transformed. But can I tell you, it started with a simple yes. It started with a simple yes to Jesus. And this morning, I don't know you all, and I want to give you an opportunity to do what a lot of us here have done, that's say yes to Jesus, right where you are. You go, well, how would that work? Well, obviously it wouldn't work if it was a human you were saying it to. But because it's Jesus, the risen Son of God, the one who can get inside every human on the planet and do something life-changing because that's who He is, then your yes becomes incredibly powerful. So I want to pray with people that are here. If you're here this morning or you're listening to this or watching this on the YouTube channel or listening to the podcast, right wherever you are, sitting at your desk and in your study, listening in your car, wherever you are, you can say yes to Christ as well, right where you are. I'm including you because this matters. So if you'd like me to pray with you, if you're in the auditorium here, obviously I can see you. If you're watching or listening via podcast or YouTube, then I'm just going to be praying for you anyway. But if you're here in front of me and you want to say yes, why don't you just simply slip your hand up in the air and put it back down again. When I see your hand, I'll know you're saying yes to Christ. That's, that's what we'll do. And then I'll pray with you. I won't embarrass you. I'm going to help you. Just I look across the auditorium. Would you do that right now if that's you? Just slip your hand up. Put it back down again. I'll see you. I'll pray with you right where you are. And I know that Christ will come into your life, change you from the inside out. Maybe you're away from God. You are walking with God for a long time and then you just lost your way. And today you're going to say, I'm, I'm coming back to Jesus today. Is there anybody like that? Just quickly, wherever you are in front of me, I will pray with everyone because I know there'll be people listening or watching. 
then Father, we thank you today for each person. I pray for the people that are listening, wherever they are. People that are watching, wherever they are. I pray today as they simply say to Jesus, Lord, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me, Lord, and help me to walk from this moment with you. With your peace and your joy and your forgiveness, your grace. I thank you for that, for them each one in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. 